guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I'd like to thank my sponsors, PML Construction, SRP Environmental, CCS Group, Make You Safe Wearable Technology, and the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group. Check out the episode notes and find their websites or contact information. Check them out and give them a call if they can help you out. Thank you for your support, guys. I sincerely appreciate it. Now on with the episode. Hi, guys. This is Doug. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. It is Friday, August 11th. Um, we're sitting here in Omaha, Nebraska. Pretty nice morning, actually. Yeah. Um, I got in late last night. My buddy Chris Bryant and I were training down in St. Louis, and we trained all day. We did another 30-hour class down there, trained all day, went to the airport, got in Omaha about 12 and got home about 1230. Then you got to sneak in the house, you know, because if yeah. you set off the dogs yeah, you got and dogs. everybody gets awakened, you know, and my wife does not like that, that, uh, you know, I'm asleep for three hours and right. you come dragging in. Um, it was great. We had a good week. I appreciate it. I got a new shirt from my friends at Green Plains. So thank you for the shirt. Got a new hat from my friends at Liquid Trucking. Look at you, NASCAR over here. It is, man. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> What's yours? Um, outdoorsman, I think. Outdoorsman, I like yeah. it. Very cool. Yeah. I got a new mug from my, my nephew, Grant, and my niece, Hannah, my great, great nephew, uh, Jack. And we got some products here from Wilderness Athlete that we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. My guest is Ben Honig. Yes. And uh, we were just introduced via... Chris Bryant. Yeah, Chris Bryant, the guy that introduces everybody. Yeah. And uh, it's been a pleasure, man. I, I kind of hit you at the last minute. I apologize, but you were really gracious in accepting the invitation. So thank you for being here. You are, I'm going to go through your title and then you can correct me. Okay. Thank you are you. like a regional safety manager. Yeah. For Kiwit. That's right. Sprinkler it, group. Sprinkler group. Yeah. That's uh, Kiwit. I mean, everybody knows Kiwit. Yeah. Except outside of Omaha. It's the biggest company nobody's ever heard of. Right? I think that's probably an accurate description, yeah. man. And then the sprinkler group even gets more confusing, but we can get into that. Okay. We can Good talk a little here. bit about it. Yeah. Thank you very yeah, much, this man. Is fun. It's a I've pleasure. listened to a few of the podcasts and, <laughs> and, uh, you don't have to say that. Yeah. They're, it's uh, all right. they're entertaining. You know, it's some of those guys, uh, they get pretty technical. Some of them do. And some of them are really interesting. And so, I would really love to hear about you in the sprinkler group. I would like to hear a little bit about how you got into safety. Of course, mm-hmm. everybody kind of talks about their journey. You're a young man. I mean, you are deceptively old relative. To, you look like you're you. like right out of college, man. Whatever yeah. you're doing, is drinking. it this stuff? I quit. Yeah, it's the, it's the wilderness athlete. Excellent. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to drink all of these yeah. this afternoon. Yeah. That's um, fantastic. So talk a little bit about yeah. how, what got you in, onto this chair here in a safety podcast. Well, really, it uh, I guess the, the short story, the long part of the story is the track and field background. I played soccer most of my life and um, got to a point in high school that uh, I walked literally walked across the street from soccer practice and joined the track and field team. And this is where you were living in Crescent, Glenwood, Glenwood, Iowa, Iowa. Glenwood, Iowa, and uh, a junior at the time and realized uh, I was pretty good at high jump. Okay. And so after my junior and senior year, I had already won two state titles. What? And uh, um, after starting your junior year, you won the state championship the year you joined the track team. I did. Holy yeah. shit, man. Good for you. And uh, set some school records in the, the high jump and long jump. Got some attention from some big schools. Um, you know, got those letters in the in the school mail. 
um, you know, sent some to Harvard. Wow. But didn't have the grades for Harvard, of course. Uh, or the or the temperament, yeah. probably. Yeah. So, um, you know, growing up in, you know, rural America, um, horse farm, you know, Iowa State seemed like the logical choice when they offered a scholarship. Fantastic. So I went to Iowa State and my um, coach was like, what do you want to major in? Really had no clue. I was thinking maybe going to Milford or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. join the trades, but um, I suggested engineering and he just kind of laughed at me because of the grades and well, the, the heavy math and science sure, and things yeah. like that. And and uh, they uh, suggested industrial technology, which at the time was a uh, department, uh, part of the Department of Education where shop teachers would go get formal sure. training, right? And so my first couple of years at Iowa State, I had woodworking and metals and welding. It was awesome. That's awesome. You know? um, but within that department, they had two disciplines, manufacturing and safety. Manufacturing is where you'd go do like the AutoCAD, industrial design, lean processing. And then safety is um, was focused around general industry and with a little bit of construction. And so the the safety to me was my route to stay near construction, mm-hmm. stay around manual labor mm-hmm. type atmospheres, Things environments. Things you're familiar with, certainly. Yeah, and, and you know, cool. actively engaged in the process and um, and being outside, right? And so my first call upon graduation, I called Hawkins. Mm-hmm. And this is no knock on Hawkins, but one of the first questions I was asked is how well I could handle a fatality in the workplace. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was was Charlie Walling. Oh, uh, no, I understand. Yeah, and uh, great guy. I'm unsure if he's still with us or not, but... uh, Well, he's not with Hawkins any longer. He was was the nemesis of every OSHA guy in the Omaha area. Yeah, and I could understand my brief experience with him. Um, I could understand why. Um, After that interview, he goes, you need to go talk to Jerry Campos at Kiwit. Really, And so being familiar with Keywood, even as a kid, you know, going to the zoo and seeing sure. the black and yellow, you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, and had a great interview with them and spent the first three months in Omaha. And I kept asking, I want to get out of the office because I was kind of helping Jerry doing the documentation side of things. And then they got me on my first project, um, which was in the in Alaska. So, oh, my gosh, C-17 aircraft maintenance complex. Um, almost a 80 to $100 million job for the Air Force on uh, Elmendorf Air Force Base. So you were building this facility? Yes. That was the Kiewit project, yep. was to construct yep. this facility. Two C-17s could pull in dual hangers. Wow. One can get uh, painted as a paint booth for a C-17. Whoa. That is enormous. Mm-hmm. That is enormous. And then uh, the other one was just general maintenance. Okay. And so that was the first uh, of several projects in, in Alaska. Wow, man. Oh, that is incredible. First of all, <clears throat> it's incredible that Charlie knew that you were not a good fit for Hawkins, perhaps. Yeah. And sent you to Jerry. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, a, a colleague of ours. Uh, I've known Jerry for years yeah. and years. That, I find that interesting. He thought you would be a better fit, perhaps, at Key Wit. Mm-hmm. That was fortuitous. Right. Yeah, thank you, Charlie. Yeah. And that was kind of the time where... I think construction, the title of a construction safety manager or supervisor was kind of unheard of, but these companies were starting to mm-hmm. invest in um, more safety than just a guy, mm-hmm. right? A company director or a regional guy, um, more 
boots on the ground. We're going to put them with this project, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's these old mega jobs where it used to be 300 to 400, 500 million, that seems like just an average job now. Now we're, you know, Kiwit's getting $6 billion contracts and, you know, doing these LNG plants and energy projects. So, wow. That, that is remarkable. I remember, you know, my time with OSHA, I was kind of uh, the OSHA liaison to some of those big Kiwit mm-hmm. projects here in town. Uh, the Convention Center, the right. Holland Performing Arts, yep. Blue Cross, Blue Shield, some really spectacular projects, which yeah. are just like a weekend activity now for Kiwit, it yeah. sounds like, to something yeah. we'll do in our spare time. That's right. That is remarkable. Let's, let's go back to Iowa State. How high can you jump? Uh, what was your state record in? Uh, the... Highest I jumped was six nine. That was Whoa. our school record. Really? And then you um, at Iowa State. Yeah, and that was six foot nine. That was just natural ability. But um, in the Big Twelve, uh, kids from Texas, Nebraska, Kansas State were going like seven five, seven seven. And so just to have the front row seat to some of those athletes in the Big Twelve mm-hmm. was was really cool. But these were guys that had been jumping their entire life yeah. with private coaching and yeah. year round. Yeah, and, and you just ran out there and just jumped over them. Yeah, here I am. You know, <laughs> oh I'll try God. this too. And you know the natural ability ran out, but um, you know got a great opportunity to get a, a great Good education. education. Yeah, Iowa State's a great school, man. Yeah, and uh, and you have a degree a that in safety. Yeah, fantastic. It's a mouthful. It's a degree in industrial technology with an emphasis in occupational safety. That, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I've never even had a safety class in my life. Right. I've been doing this for 40 years. Yeah, now, and so. it seemed like it was, uh, you know, you're, you learn compliance-driven safety mm-hmm. in those classes, mm-hmm. and they try intimidating you with, uh, you know, the experienced, grizzled construction guy, and mm-hmm. what are you going to do with him? And yeah. mm-hmm. Charlie Walling, for example. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, you – you learn real quick, you know, and if you were to go back, like probably should have paid more attention in psychology, probably should have minored in safety, probably should have took more communication, technical writing classes. That because, is a brilliant observation. Yeah, because the the OSHA regulations, you can just memorize them. Yeah, I can teach a chimp the OSHA regulations yeah. and have. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> um, yeah, the aspects of human behavior that you just touched on, mm-hmm. the psychology, I, in fact, wish I would have taken, I didn't, I took a psychology class and. I know I slept through it because right. it wasn't even remotely related to yeah. my degree. So I yeah. had no interest in it, but those are truly. I mean, even like sales, marketing, persuading people. Right. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're dealing with executives mm-hmm. and you're dealing with laborers and everything yep. in that spectrum. I want to say in between, it's not a top down thing. It's, you know, it's just people in their element. Yeah. And knowing how to. Yeah. That is so, I am really impressed, man. That's where. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, and that, that's like a whole conversation on its own. It is part two, right? Yeah, part two. We'll talk about that again. So, <laughs> yeah. so you worked with uh, Jerry for a while in Omaha just to yep. get familiar with the Kiwit lingo, probably. And yep, and Terry White. Oh um, yeah, Terry White, of course. Yep. Oh my God, yep. man. Still, I just had lunch with him uh, last week. Did you? Yep. Is he still with the company? No, he retired. I thought yep. he. Re- yeah, they retired maybe 2013-ish. Yeah, that's about the time I left OSHA, as I mm-hmm. recall. Okay. Yeah. But he's in Omaha, yep. or where did you He's in Omaha. Yeah. Oh, doing great. Well, I know Terry won't listen because he's I'll probably s- less technically I'll adept than I. But, yeah. Hello, Terry. <laughs> it's good to hear your name, man. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I interacted with Terry often back in those days. a smaller water bottle. Oh, you're okay, man. There is nothing. <laughs> you can't do anything wrong here. So, off to Alaska, they send you for a huge project. Yeah. And you were an outdoorsman 
that's your your nature I that's who you was. are until you got to alaska yeah. talk about that a little bit what was alaska like um alaska is uh unbelievable and like i told you in the lobby you know if i was the kind of person i was today or i am today i would most likely still be in alaska um but coming out of college you know you're still holding on to that social life that bar scene nightlife sure and it's a big it's a big effort to really do anything in alaska you have to have a plan you got to have communication uh, rescue i mean there's all these things that go into it but um you know you ever fished at midnight before no, I, not that I, I, you know, unless I was catfishing you know, or something and, and like, drinking beer. I've... Fishing is what um, I really got into up there. Mm-hmm. Not so much the hunting, just because of um, the logistics of it. Which well, is and, totally foreign, right? You Did know, the prey bit. up there can hunt hunt you back. Yeah, too, I think right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a buddy we were camping, and I don't know, we're like fifty miles off the road somewhere on four wheelers, and there's a, a sow with two cubs, grizzly bears up on the ridge during the day we're setting up camp and he's sleeping with his his 50 cal mm-hmm, <laughs> i'm know, sure just on his chest yeah so, i'll bet um sleep with both eyes open type mm-hmm. of a thing never know what's gonna happen. i can remember uh, i have a good friend steve moyer he and i we had worked at terracon together we used to go, we used to go out into ketico provincial park mm-hmm. up north of the boundary waters and we would canoe yeah. up there and we would fish for a week or two mm-hmm. totally remote and they have black bears which are certainly yep. not brown bears not Correct. grizzlies yep. uh but i can remember and they would not allow you to carry um weapons uh, guns i should say yeah. specifically into canada right so we would carry big knives of course thinking yeah. that we're going to go out there and yeah. fight some bear with a big knife you but it's got to be faster than your buddy yeah exactly that that <laughs> actually is a true statement i know we it's kind of a joke among, yeah but it's a true statement well, we uh after c17 we then did the Anchorage Sport Fish Hatchery. It was the largest indoor fish hatchery of its kind in North America. Oh and um, part of that Ship Creek, Ship Creek's a, a, a river that goes right through downtown Anchorage. You can fish for salmon in downtown Anchorage. And they uh, had some bear sightings, grizzly bear sightings, because there's a golf course, it backs up to the military base. So there's just a lot of protection there. So we said, you guys go down and do your water testing for runoff um, in pairs, and you take bear spray. And they're both native Alaskans. Uh, um, they're like, what's this going to do? Can we just carry our, our sidearms like we normally do? I'm like, I don't know. We're at work, and you got to just carry the bear spray. And if anything happens, Kyler, you spray JT in the face, incapacitate <laughs> right. him, and run. Right. You know, you got to sacrifice yeah. somebody. Kick him in the knee. Yeah. So... <laughs> I like it. And it was that a written policy or was that just something that you just wrote? Gentleman's agreement. Yeah, exactly. So oh, that is so funny, man. So you were headquartered basically in Anchorage? Anchorage. That's where you were stationed. Did did a few years in Anchorage and then we um, got some military work up in Fairbanks. So we went up there, did some work in Fairbanks for a few years. Wow. Um, got to spend a summer on the Kenai Peninsula. Um I mean, people spend their whole life trying to visit the Kenai once, right? And that's what's cool about Alaska is people think it's this grand once in a lifetime vacation and, you know, try to go up every two, three years. So how long were you up there in total? How long were Six you? Six years. Wow. Yeah. Good for you, man. Yeah. And that changed who you are. Yeah. I think it just, it, uh, you know, Terry back to Terry, he gave me tons of opportunities, right? Uh, a great mentor. Yeah, he is. Um, the team yeah. up there, uh, you know, they, 
they work, you know, mm -hmm. so you, you learn what it, it's like to put in 15 hour days, six days a week type of thing. And, right. But then just the, the people in Alaska, um, detached from the lower 48, it's like, let us take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, everything that happens in the major cities, we feel, you know, are irrelevant to us here, even in Omaha, but it's even more so in Alaska, right? And everybody's, you know, it's, it's snow machines. It's not snowmobiles. It's, uh, you're hunting for subsistence to fill the freezer, not just for trophies or not no. just a, for bragging rights. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, you watch these hunting shows, these primo shows and they, uh, they show these guys out caribou hunt and moose hunt. And it's like, well, there's six guys in the group and one person in the video got something right. The, the ability to find the animals and, uh, um, it's just different. It's, it's real it's hunting. It's vast wilderness. Mm -hmm. You know, you Colorado, you get lost. You go over the next ridge. Oh, there's town. Right. Maybe two ridges. Mm -hmm. There's town. There's a trail. There's a road. Yeah. In Alaska, you go and go and go and find nothing. No signs of yeah. humanity whatsoever. Yeah, you might run into a village or something. That's brilliant. Like that, but yeah, that's fantastic. You know, now I would die within the first eight hours if I was left alone out there. Yeah. But I can appreciate. The, the majesty of that, mm -hmm. what that must be like. Yeah, and it's beautiful. So when when did you get the hunting bug then? I mean, while you were up there or? <clears throat> um, yeah. Because you, you Toward, do this remote end. caribou big I, I work, I, Yeah, I worked with a lot of guys that, that hunted. And the thing with Alaska is people are very particular on who they hunt with and mm -hmm. where their hunt spots are. Mm -hmm. You know, they've spent decades, you know, dialing in the right hunt spot. And, you know, you finally start getting these invites and once people trust you and you make time for them and they make time for you and, you know, caribou hunting and moose hunting and never got into the, the sheep hunting. There's three species up there. We require you to either be a resident to hunt or you have to have a licensed guide as a non-resident, um, you know, to go dull sheep hunting in Alaska. I mean, people are paying twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 for a one-on-one -on -one guided opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I missed an opportunity to do it for next to nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's some, I wouldn't say regrets, but uh, some things you could have done better differently. Mm -hmm. Right. Taken advantage of. But yeah, but six years isn't a huge amount of time when you're no. working 15 hours a day, six days a week. I yeah. Mean, probably had a lot of opportunities that most mm -hmm. of us will never have, but you can't get them all in. Yeah. Man. You know, the, the best thing was to get out of small town, Midwest, small town, mm -hmm. Iowa, get out of your, your routine, get out of your group of friends and, um, really just expand your horizons. I mean, mm -hmm. just to see a whole different world. I didn't even know what was possible in Alaska. You know, they're like, Hey, you want to go to Alaska? And the first thing that pops in your head is like sled dogs, igloos and cold. Right. <laughs> right it's like, wait, right. Anchorage is a real city. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's, you know, it's just naive college kid. Right? As you said, I mean, the normal mm -hmm. route that most of us take uh, after college is a very social, you know, you're still going out to bars. You're still doing mm -hmm. that interact but you get into a place like alaska perhaps and i don't know this i've been to alaska but i did the family cruise right. in alaska where you cruise up the passage yeah and you stop and you do your little excursion maybe you go out and stand on a glacier and take your yeah. picture and run yeah, back because it's cold show for you over here exactly over there and exactly yeah and it was magnificent mm -hmm. but it wasn't really alaska you know right what i mean yeah. other than just try spending you know what five winters there <laughs> amazing man amazing so um from alaska you've, you've been elsewhere with kiwit now yeah um while i was still in alaska they sent me to the big island of hawaii 
for several weeks to help finish up a um, job for the Corps of Engineers. There's a heavy artillery weapons range. So the Kiwit Infrastructure Group, uh, Northwest District, was assigned to basically this big civil job for Pahakaloa uh, Marine Base, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, right at the base of, um, right between Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa. I think I have a nephew stationed over there right now, in fact. Yeah. At that naval marine base, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was cool, um, but that was just real short. And mm-hmm. then... Um, Did you enjoy your time you in know, Hawaii, or how was that experience? Um, different in Alaska, Yeah, obviously. and it's, it's, again, it's different when you're working there, because mm-hmm. it's like you're working 7 yeah. to 7, and, you know, yeah. the sun's up at 7, the sun's down at 7, but you're kind of missing the sunrises right. and the sunsets. And, yeah. Um, not a lot of beach activity. It's not like vacationing. Yeah. You're not yeah. vacationing. You know, you're definitely. flying over there, everybody's drinking Mai Tais on the airplane and you're in <laughs> steel-toed boots and a polo, <laughs> right, right. right? Exactly. The standard issue uh, yeah. office attire. But yeah. um, like I said, it was short-lived, but, you know, a different opportunity. And I had come from Alaska in the wintertime, Fairbanks, to the island where, you know, our local craft – you know, everybody lives around the beach, around, mm-hmm. around the coast in Hawaii, you know, whether it's Kona, Waikolo Village, yeah. Waimea. And they uh, were up in the mountains. I mean, Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa are like two of some of the biggest mountains in the world, even compared to um, Everest, right, from from the base. And they get snow. You know, you can mm-hmm. sometimes sled in the morning, snowboard, ski in the morning, unoffic- you know, unofficially, but... And then go surf go in the, the afternoon, beach, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I think one morning up at up up there at the job, it was sixty degrees while we're doing stretch and flex. And these guys got their hoodies up, and they got gloves on, long sleeves, and they're trying to do their arm pull, and they're right. shivering. And I come from Fairbanks, where it was like forty below, <laughs> and it's over a hundred degree temperature yeah. change. And I'm in T-shirt, and they're oh, like, yeah. "Who's this guy?" And, yeah, and I, you know, I'm like, this that, is- "That is so funny." <laughs> I have relatives, I love them dearly, that live in Southern California, and they, if they even bother yeah. to come to Nebraska, which they rarely do, they're always in a parka. I don't care what time of year it is; they're in a parka or yeah. something. You know, if they came on in August, they might take the parka off. Southern California, they dress for what it is right now, mm-hmm. and not anticipate what it's going to be. Absolutely, like parka now. Long John's now. Yeah. Even though I'm going to get hot later, they don't just now, right, right now. And, and feel good now. It, regardless of the time of year, if we go out there to visit, I bring shorts and t-shirts. Yeah. Because I've never been uncomfortable in shorts and t-shirts That's in right. California ever. Yeah. Even on Mammoth Mountain, you know, when we were skiing, shorts and a t-shirt yeah. basically. You know? Why not? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And so. so from there, you did, did a short stint in Hawaii. Yep. Back to Alaska then. Back to or? Alaska. Um, Ended up getting my CSP in Alaska. I saw that. Yeah. Good for you, man. Yeah. For someone who I, and it's funny, I actually just had to relearn. I didn't learn any math or retain any math from college or anything like that. So it's just took a couple of those prep classes Mm -hmm. and you know, the, the, a good prep instructor will be very honest and say, you're not trying to ace this thing. Just pass it. Just pass. Just pass it. Right. That was the advice I got as well. And, uh, you know, and like I said, the, took the ASP, and I was never a good test taker. You know, it's always like they're trying to trick me. You mm-hmm. think it, and it's like, this is too easy. I don't know this. <laughs> right, and it's like, right. it's clearly the answer, but. Oh, there's a um, catch. There's something. Yeah, there. yeah, they're, they're throwing That's a so curveball. But uh, knock that out. 
um, got moved to Denver then. Okay. So, which is a uh, is that one of the divisions of Kiwit is so, headquartered yeah, in Denver? How does that work? So the way so Kiwit the way Kiwit's broken out, it's so you got Kiwit Corporation, who then has there's about thirty different operating districts. Okay. Um, and if you wanted to even be more generalized, um, there's energy and there's infrastructure. Okay. But over the past several years, they've been trying to break down those silos to where Kiwit operates as a um, one company. So like one project will have multiple internal joint ventures, right? Interesting. So, okay. so you got, whether it's just personnel from a district helping out on the job, whether it's the technical experience that a, a district can bring to a job, mm-hmm. um, there's all kinds of different ways they, they do that. And then I primarily, to this point in my career, I've been working with Kiwit Building Group, Okay. right? Yep. So Kiwit Building Group is be, be like your Hensel Phelps, your Turner's, J.E. Dunn's, vertical con- commercial mm-hmm. construction mm-hmm. right yeah and uh so at the time they have dc and texas markets that need covered because the core of engineers and on the east coast is who are working for on this rsfo work and they need a csp oversight as mm-hmm. part of their mm-hmm. contract requirements mm-hmm. and so i i do the back and forth from denver texas to dc for a little bit and then i take over colorado and then, um, which is just a lot of commercial building work. Okay. And then um, my peer at the time, Ron Covo, who started the Denver VA, if you ever have heard of that job, mm-hmm. you know, the job that started out as a $600 million proposal ends at just shy of $2 billion by the time it's done, right? Mm-hmm. So Ron had spent most <clears throat> of his time with Kiwit, Um on this job, getting it going, getting it started, building the team, building up the safety culture. And then, um, but he never had any real key wit only because it was a joint venture with Turner. So they had Ron come out of the joint venture to do key wit Colorado, uh, the key building group stuff. And I went, became a project director for the, okay. for that mega job. Um, that was, was that your overrun that, 600 million to 2 billion was that no like that, a, yeah that was just my, a rounding error or safe, something safety or? spending yeah <laughs> um you know so we you know obviously there's uh you know a lot of a lot of the hard work has had been done by ron but there's still things to finish right there's mm-hmm. we we had a big turnover where the corps of engineers came in and took over for the va and then um we got some new subcontractors on site and it was really this new phase or face of the project saying okay now we're going to get done right there there is the light at the end of the tunnel has been turned back on mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and let's get her done right? interesting yeah so um and then uh after we we did that we um they brought me here to omaha to finish up stratcom oh, okay so um is that still in process in progress you're working on that now or has that been concluded you know that's done okay yeah <clears throat> there's some other things uh behind the scenes i think happening but okay about my pay grade okay but now you are here so, in omaha again or you're yeah, back in the so, midwest um back in the midwest out of omaha and then part of um you know we were able to finish stratcom with um our internal recognition at keywood is uh, a goose egg award it's being able to take a project or a district without recordable injuries for that year and we did I think it was somewhere around 350 or 400,000 craft hours um, without a recordable 
at Stratcom, Good right? For you, man. So that gets that gets noticed, of right? Course, and of then course. they had an opportunity where there's three sprinkler businesses within Kiwit, and they were all in uh, operating individually. And so they said, let's bring them together as one safety unit and call it Kiwit Fire Sprinkler Group. And but we need a district safety guy for that. And so the opportunity came. My name came up, and here I am. Good for you, right? man. So, You're going to be living in one of those big houses at Shadow Ridge pretty soon, aren't you? No. I would <laughs> I would go more down the minimalist line. Okay. I was going to say, house. but I mean, you have really <clears throat> done well within Keywood. It seems like it's been a good place for you. Yeah. Some interesting projects. Yeah. They could continue to give you more uh, leadership, authority, that kind of thing. More. Yeah. That, and it's, oh, it's a lot of like-minded people, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, you got people who are, hey, we know why we're here. We know why we work for this company. We're driven. Right. We we constantly need more. Um, what's next? Mm-hmm. Right. How can we do better? How can you be better than your yesterday self type mm-hmm. mentality? Right. And I love that. And we have a lot of things going on at Kiwit Safety, but I think it's all deliberate. Right. It's very calculated. It's not just noise. It's not mm-hmm. just what does OSHA think we need? What does the industry think we need? What What's going to make us look good in the eyes of social media? Um, it's it's what, intentional. What do our people need? Right. Because we also, we're also finding ourselves in less, not when I say ourselves, I say like the industry, less and less self-perform work and more subcontractor management, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's easy for a lot of companies to say, these are our rules but you really have no craft or frontline employees to maybe tr- trial and error mm-hmm. some of that stuff with. So, um, Kiwit, we self-perform a ton of work. Um, we have, we have a lot of craft out there mm-hmm. you know, somewhere around probably 10 to 15,000 craft employees <clears throat> doing all kinds of different scopes of work, anything from union, non-union, even the sprinkler group continental is a union sprinkler company. Arrow is a non-union sprinkler company. And then we have Jet. It's a pipe fabrication facility. Oh, okay. Right? So they're they're threading and welding and fabbing sprinkler pipe. So Okay. So we got just right there three that's, different. That's an interesting mix. Yeah. And then. Construction, uh, manufacturing, union, non-union. Yeah. That's an interesting. Yeah. Dynamic. Depending on the market, right? Um, depends on which part of the company goes where, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, I know Texas is a big uh, non-union state. Um, so there's a lot of non-union work there. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, like you go to KOS or Keywood Offshore Services, right? Um, that's just a 300, 400 acre fab yard for offshore oil rigs, mm-hmm. right? And then they're always there. And then you get these other Keywood companies that you need a bridge here, here, and here, but they're thousands of miles apart. So you get done with this one, you go to that one, right? There's people constantly traveling for the company as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then building group is staying around those centralized markets, Omaha, Denver, DC, Seattle, Honolulu. Okay. Right. Um, same thing with uh, Continental. But then Continental and Arrow, the, the whole fire sprinkler group, now we're working for everybody. We just had a statistic um, in our one of our operations meetings where like 2% of our sprinkler group work is actually with Keywit. The rest of our contracts, like, you know, several hundred of them are with everybody, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you could see a fire extinguisher hanging in the hallway right now with continental alarm and detection on it, mm-hmm. right? Or 
Um, we can be up. Those have nothing to do, the ninety-eight percent have nothing to do with Kiwit jobs. No, the, you are um, you're your well, own entity, yep. and you are working directly with these other. Yep. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, man. and I mean, there's people that know that Kiwit owns us, but mm-hmm. they hire for the service and for the credibility, right? right. So that is really interesting. Uh, that's actually <clears throat> probably keeping you really busy. Yeah, and it's and it's kind of twofold. I think one of my aha moments in my career was when you're a general contractor or a construction manager and you have these subs, you instantly think these subs need you and you have to tell them what to do and you have to protect them because they're subs, right? It's, it's, they're overly, incapable. Yeah, they're incapable. They're <laughs> overly critical. Yeah. Um, and so some of the aha moments you find it's like keyword life changes all the time, whether it's a new job, a new location, new personnel, new subcontractors, low bid, design that's what's awesome about construction is it's constantly evolving Mm -hmm. constantly changing nothing stays the same and but these subcontractors they're the same with or without us right so um like one example was e and k of denver right Mm -hmm. they're working with us at the va they were having a hard time doing our hazard analysis process and then i'm like well what do you guys do Right. We had their executives come in because they're having injuries, they're having, you know, accountability issues. So we had their executives come in and they said, This is what our safety program looks like. And you're like, Wow. Right. Whether whether you guys are able to fully implement that um, you know, proficiently, you're at least saying the right things and you have the mm-hmm. right buzzwords, you have the mm-hmm. right programs, and you and you're evolving, right? So instead of trying to do ours for this one job you're doing with us what if we do like their hazard analysis or was their take five, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, instead of holding you accountable to do our stuff, we're now going to hold you accountable to do yours. Right. I love that. Because you're, you, regardless if you work for us or not, you guys should be doing a take five regardless right. of who you work for. Right. So no doubt let's help. We're going to help you do your program on our job. Right. Well, if you've done a good job in the uh, pre-selection, pre-qualification process, you're selecting subs that obviously have integrated these systems mm-hmm. and they're doing them. So right. to make them change to yours, it might be a little bit overly mm-hmm. micromanaging perhaps. I mean, if they're capable of doing it themselves. Yeah. That's cool. That's a gr- I'm, that's really interesting. Yeah. And that's where you really see behind the curtain um, as a true subcontractor now coming to the fire sprinkler group, because um, I have four different hard hats for, four different, five different, six different contractors, mm-hmm. right? Do you want the chin strap? Do you want vented, non-vented? Do you want regular hard hats? We got a client that wants a chin strap hard hat that's high vis. So now we have to get rid of our red to go to high vis, you know, and we get hung up sometimes on here's our JHA. It's like we want an AHA, mm-hmm. you know, cut level three, four, five, six, seven. And, and here we are just, we got it all. And, you know, here's our baseline. We'll go up. We'll never go down. Mm-hmm. But we just we have to remain flexible. Mm-hmm. You know, So if we go work for a whites, right, it's a cut four with a, a safety helmet. That's pre-established. That's yep. what whites. Yep, that's their new thing this year. Um, if you go work for J.E. Dunn at Google, right, it's cut four safety helmet. But if you go work for J.E. Dunn outside of Google, it's just a regular hard hat. Mm-hmm. Right. And so. um Chasing that game 
can get frustrating because mm-hmm. I think we lose sight of uh, um, what are we really doing here, especially when we get into the alphabet soup. Yeah, that's stuff. a forest for the trees thing, yeah. man. You get fixated on the, yeah. those minor details. And, and I think the conversation to the safety helmets, um, I think there's there's plenty of value there. Um, um, unsure if it's the right intentions, mm-hmm. but it's well, to definitely, some, some degree, it becomes kind of the flavor of the day thing. Yeah. Or this is the new shiny object thing, yeah. and right. Let's make sure we're doing it for the right reasons, and we're getting out of it what we're needing. Yeah, and it's easy. Adding PPE to mm-hmm. your to-do list is the easiest thing sure. anybody can do to show improve, yeah. improvement on a job, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, uh, you know, engineering things out and going through the whole hierarchy, it's right. building relationships with your guys and spending time and in the field. And like those behavioral issues, yeah. how to, you yeah. know, engaging and enlisting their actual buy-in. And, <clears throat> and that's where I think, you know, you asked earlier you know, what sets Kiwit safety apart? Mm-hmm, that's like, the question. It's like one, we're so big, right? And we've been around for so long. Um, we we work with some of the best companies in the world, whether it's Exxon or Caterpillar or, I mean, you know, all the, a, a variety of energy companies. Um, and they, they're humble. The executives at Kiwit are humble enough that it's like, how do we, what, what advice mm-hmm. do you guys have? Right. What look, can we learn from these? Yeah, looking at Exxon. Great company. Exxon's a huge company, yeah. and they got a lot of good safety ideas. Intel. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of work with Intel from a sprinkler standpoint. They got a lot of good things going on. Um, but we, like I said, we're very deliberate and calculated, but you see it in the field, right? Mm-hmm. You see everybody owning it. Mm-hmm. And I get it. There's outliers, and there's people that struggle like any other business. Um, but I'd say the consistency of our ability to get out with our craft employees and build those relationships, um, safety just starts to become part of the process, mm-hmm. right? Part of the the routine versus something you have to go out and do and check the box, right? It's just integrated into everything. Well, that, and I, and I love that philosophy and that approach. And I, I've kind of adopted <clears throat> that of late, you know, I was always a compliance guy yeah. and, you know, looked at everything from a compliance <clears throat> mindset. But of the in the last few years, I've been reading more of some of these new philosophies and these new approaches to safety. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I'm curious when you started in this world. Um, probably there were still safety cop approaches to safety, right? In those days, and I know that we briefly communicated the fact that you are. I mean, you're young and you're obviously soaking up so much information. <clears throat> How are you guys? implementing or at least including some of those safety differently safety two approaches to how kiwit practices safety i'd is say that- our i'd say our biggest um success has been our craft voice and safety concept right um we call it civis right it's it's it goes through that evolution i believe you even talked about on one of your podcasts on um, being deliberate with kind of the words we use right mm-hmm. it's we like to involve people right and it's it's kind of like we've already got our mind made up, right? And uh, <laughs> right. you know, it's, I went to a I went to a contractor safety so- uh, event or whatever. It was a meeting with all the trade partners, and and uh, it it was like, what do you guys think of this? Like, it's too late. You've already you've already sent the memos out, right? You know, yeah, it's like, what dumb. are we doing here? Just right. to tell us that you had a meeting that these are the new rules, and you were all here, like, right? So there's the involvement, right? So the the timeline is. You know, hey, involve the craft. Like, that's kind of like the safety committee route, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the uh, 
engage them, right? We had this program back in like 2010 called engage your employees. And it was this awkward interview thing where it's like, what's your name? (laughs) You know, how old are you? What do you Uh like to do for a living? Uh What's your favorite color? And like, what are you doing? Like, like forcing these people to get out versus I don't need to do this because I know these guys, I've taken the time to learn from them and, and get to know them. And, and I get it. Everybody's different. Right. And, and some people are, you know, naturally drawn to building relationships. Without question. Um, some people just are less motivated to engage in social situations. But um, but the, the key is to get to that ownership word. Right. And so with Civis, it gives, um, you know, in its fundamental nature, we have we have guidelines for it. Right. To keep it in check and to keep it mm-hmm. how we can manage it and observe, observe it. kind of keep it on the rails to some exactly. degree. But in its truest, uh, simplest form, it's the people who are on the front lines are the ones that are going to be using the ladder. They're going to be the ones in the equipment. They're going to be the ones getting hurt. They're going to be the ones, you know, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. The sharp it's, end it's of the stick. It's not the superintendent. The, it's not right. the, it's not the project manager. It's not the operations guy. And so, when you put a tool in their hand, is this the right tool for the job? What do you need from me? Right. And the, the first thing a safety guy, an operations guy, a superintendent needs to understand is your job is to provide an environment for your people to be successful. And at the end of the day, do they have all the tools, right? If they have the best ladder or multiple ladders, right? When I came over to the fire sprinkler group, um, we kind of had one or two ladders to do the job. Everybody was issued the same eight foot ladder yeah, or whatever. You know, and now we have like seven or eight different mm-hmm. kinds, different brands, get you into different situations. And we just ask that it's now your job to pick the right ladder, mm-hmm. right? We provide it. We'll help you understand well, how that. to use it, yeah. but we'll, we're giving you options, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of two things to solve 20 things, we now have several different things to help you navigate through, especially in such a complex work environment mm-hmm. like our group. And so how does that work then? Is the project manager, when you are uh, prepping for the job, just make those kind of determinations? I'm, obviously, that evolves on the project as they learn. They might I think so. Skills. Yeah. And, and you know, the key with jobs are, are different, but it's, again, how well a job can set up um, and get kicked off is always going to be kind of the, the metric mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. how well can you, can you finish, right? Yeah. And so <clears throat> the other thing we... We so the civis concept is how well we get the craft to take ownership, right? Instead of a carpenter saying, "Hey, this handrail's broken, fix it." It's like I'm, I would ask you to fix it. You're the carpenter, right? What are you asking for permission for, right? right. You know, your kid uh, says, That's "Hey, right. can I fill the family car up full of gas?" And like, you need money? It's like, <laughs> right. no, I was going to use my own because I've been driving. And you're like, "Geez, that's ownership." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're not going to. It's just, and that's where, you know, the word empowerment starts to develop and guys start taking, you know, actions for their own. Yeah. They take it upon themselves and just address it. Yeah. Or they start speaking up and having side conversations. And, you know, we first, uh, we used to have these safety lunches where we'd run through these pictures in Alaska, right. And the foreman would come in from all the trade partners and then they would, uh, they'd go back out to work and we would expect them to go address it but a foreman's got shit to do. Right. So we asked them, Hey, bring a craft guy with you. One of your guys. Mm-hmm. So the foreman would go back to work and then the craft guy would go back to whoever he was working with. I'm like, Hey, where were you? I was at lunch. What'd you guys talk about? And then, mm-hmm. you know, it starts kicking off like, well, they're saying we need to have 
more observations or, you know, they've been having some temporary lighting issues or the yeah. access is closed. That is, that is really interesting comment. Yeah. I like that because you are absolutely right about mm -hmm. we overload these foremen anyway, mm -hmm. and we bring them in and give them this list of shit, to, stuff to fix, yeah, and then send them out, and they immediately have to get back into the the groove. They right. can't be, yeah, taking another day off. I, that is really, I love that comment. That's interesting. And then we, um, you know, uh, got into this. Um, we called it mining the diamond, right? Because we, and I think a lot of other companies are starting to realize that. You know, when you have lost time, days without a lost time posted out in front of your facility or job, like to me, that's meaningless. Like you might as well have your death rate. That's going to be a better number or maybe right. it's not, you know, at least it probably is more of a more interest. Right. But employees. it's but it's like how many recordables have you had? But even that metric is is getting um, or learning. Right. Because mm -hmm. I could have one stitch from a power tool incident or a knife incident, but a dude down the street about got lit up from a lockout tag injury, mm -hmm. no injuries. Mm -hmm. OSHA doesn't know anything about it. Right. And but they, they care about the one stitch. Absolutely. Put that on your lock, right? Totally. And so we call Agreed. those now, we call them life-saving actions or life-saving categories. Mm -hmm. So we have about 12 or 13 categories that are defined and historically have killed people. And, and the way it works is, when you go through your planning process and you get everything in place, then you get the, we have a start card. It's our hazard analysis. And on the back, it's got all the categories and then each one has a safeguard. And so say you're working at heights with fall protection, right? The first question is, has the fall protection permit been completed? The answer is no, you're not working. Don't start. Don't start. Yeah. Right. Is the human equipment interaction pre-planning tool completed? If you're going to have, you know, human equipment, mm -hmm. are the work zones delineated, mm -hmm. people and physically separated from heavy equipment? You know, it's yes or no questions before they even go to work. Get to proceed. Right. I, oh, I love that, man. Yeah. We were just talking about that yesterday in this training. That's excellent. And so, you know, that's just, that's our way of saying, and then, you know, instead of working with these high-risk work yourself out of them, mm -hmm. right? So the one thing with fall protection that's been really great for us is instead of just throwing on a harness, before you can do it, you gotta do a permit. But during this permit process, it's like, what if we just got some scaffold in there with a, some handrail? You know, we, great, let's do Eliminate it. the need for yeah. that fall protection yeah. in the first place. Yeah, because maybe we bid the job thinking a guy was gonna do this with fall protection. Mm -hmm. So then that forces people to get better at the surveying and the estimating and factor in some of these things. Great story. Mm -hmm. It was actually with Whites out in Des Moines. Um, my project manager said, hey, we got to get on this catwalk. Um, they would put a ladder up and then we tie off there. I said, let's just price out scaffold. Have, I think it was Safeway came in, gave us a bid. Whites is like, we love it. And we rolled it in, right? Love it. Yeah. And so it's like, let's just get rid of and then it was, you know, and there was this, there's this ladder, right? You're going to go up this ladder 10 feet. Now you're exposed. And someone's like, well, should we tie off on that ladder? I go, just have the scaffold guy build in a little corral. You know, we got the guy here. Mm -hmm. What's, what's an extra, you know, 30 members of scaffold. Mm -hmm. So now we just got rid of fall protection completely. That's outstanding. And then man. you take that people think, you know, that permits like more paper. And now it's like, we just threw the paper away. Mm -hmm. We don't need it. There's just a whole point for us to get involved, make sure we're doing this the right wow. way, the best way, and 
Get out of fall protection. Yeah, I love that. That is fantastic. How are we doing for time? 10 minutes. You wore your watch. I didn't. Thank you for doing that. Well, so we could go on and on. This is really good stuff, man. I want to do two things. Number one, um, talk about these, what we've got up front here, this, the wilderness athlete. Yeah. Give me two minutes on wilderness athlete. These so, are friend of yours. Friend, they, they became friends of mine um, as a backcountry elk hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of center my life around being able to go be physically fit, ready for the backcountry. And the concept is everybody can climb up the mountain day one, day two, maybe day three, it's getting a little harder. How do you do it for nine days? How Mm -hmm. do you do it for two weeks? Right. Um, so they provide a supplement, um, somewhere along the line, they caught wind that we're using Gatorade. We're using squincher, (laughs) Powerade, water, nobody in it. We only talk about hydration when it's hot. Right. Right. That's a great point. <clears throat> and it's just, and really it's, it's kind of fake, you know, it's just mm-hmm. another buzz campaign mm-hmm. just to show we're doing something right. Flavor of the month. Oh man. Yeah. So I ran into him. I think it was San Antonio ASSP and they had a booth and it was kind of like, what the hell are you guys doing here? Mm-hmm. We, and um, so helping them through, they kind of got hung up on the heat related recordable stuff. Like mm-hmm. how many recordables do you have? I said, you're asking the wrong questions. It's bigger than that. Right. So the conversations have started over the past several years and it's really about how well can you get up and do it again? Right. Our, our craft workers, whether it's in the industrial processing plants or the manufacturing warehouses or the construction environment, they don't get a break. They don't get, they don't play on Sunday and then go home for a week. They, they work for us. Then they go home and have to do life, kids, family, mow the lawn, um, who knows what they were doing over the weekend, if they were camping, fishing, grilling, drinking. And can you do that on day one, day two, day three? What mm-hmm. about Friday? How well are you physically, mentally here? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we provide this to our guys um, year-round, take it home. So they just, Whatever in you theory, you would drink it every day yeah. and just maintain that hydration level? Yep. So the hydrate here is your um you know for those people that seen like liquid iv mm-hmm. liquid iv has got a ton of sugar in it this has five grams but this mm-hmm. is also adding your branch chain amino acids mm-hmm. so that's going to help with muscle repair and recovery Absolutely. recovery it's got deal. all your um electrolyte replacements mm-hmm. um glutamine cognitive functions mm-hmm. right and then the, you, the red bag is their energy supplement okay and so that has no artificial sweetener other than a little bit of circulose, I think, but, um, the sugar's like manageable in here because mm-hmm. it's just natural sugar levels. Your body should get, right. and let's be honest, it has to have a little bit of good taste. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. But, and then it's, I mean, ideally providing this into our, into our guys's hands, maybe a guy puts down a diet Coke and, or a Red Bull or a monster and picks this up, mm-hmm. makes him more productive doesn't crash certainly better for him we have tons of people in the business who have adopted this personally and they've lost tons of weight no kidding right give up a diet coke in the afternoon and pick up if you mix them it's called a superman it's good right so do a superman in the afternoon instead of a diet coke you don't have that you still have the habit you just have a substitute for a better alternative right i love it so um like i said we we're transparent with our guys um hey if you're drinking it's a great hangover deal because mm-hmm. I need, yeah. I need uh bright and alert Doug. Right. Monday morning. Right. You know, no doubt. And so. I loved your comment that hydration is not just for the heat. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for me, um, I have a like a, a heart condition that I can tell changes when I'm dehydrated. Right. And so just to maintain the cog- cognitive function, all of those mm-hmm. things are so dependent upon proper hydration, you know, proper yeah. electrolyte balances. Yep. So I think this is a really good approach, man. And that's the, that's that aspect of human performance to where, um, you know, we, we hate, uh, <clears throat> we hate, we're getting the signal. I'm yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan. You know, it's, it's, we're not in the military, but we can find parallels, right? We're, we're not professional athletes, but we can find parallels. You know, there's, there's all kinds of cross referencing and, and things from different industries we can take in. Um, but I mean, ask yourself, we demand perfection every day from our guys. So what are we doing to help them even be prepared for that? Yeah. You know, and, um, well, if we're with them eight, 10 hours a day, and then we just kind of ignore their needs, Mm -hmm. the remainder of that day, I think we're doing them a disservice. Yeah. And we're certainly kidding ourselves if we expect them to come in and to be able to perform at a high level. And you know what? Supplementation is, 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 it helps, but then it's like providing that education on Mm -hmm. diet sleep yeah good for you man like that so one last thing we got yep. about a minute left i want you to tell that story about jerry campos and the cut resistant oh, yeah. if you would please I, there are so many characters within the kiwit family yeah that i've had the pleasure of knowing over the years so this is when uh <laughs> these terminator gloves i think cut level gloves were, were starting to come out and jerry had a pack of them i believe we were down at the td ameritrade project and jerry pulls up in his pool car kiwit company car right and uh handing out Terminator gloves to everybody. Terry Elder, who's who's been with Building Group for forever, yeah. great guy, great mentor, Yeah, um, grabs one of the gloves. And Jerry's like, they're cut resistant. Give them a try. Throws it down on Jerry, the hood of Jerry's car, pulls out his pocket knife and cuts it right in half and leaves this big scratch through the middle of the hood. And right. he goes, I don't think they're cut proof at all and he goes i said cut resist <laughs> there's obviously some f-bombs and oh yeah man. but i can but... actually see that happening yeah because i know both of those yeah for anybody that knows that i mean i hope you get it. that is a yeah. great story man i this has been wonderful i i want to thank our buddy chris bryant for making the connection yeah. uh thank you for coming on on short notice easy i'm really impressed man which means absolutely nothing to you but i fear i used to fear that you know, we, things were not in good yeah. hands, but man, yeah. you are a rock star. Appreciate and, it. Uh, no, it's my pleasure. And hopefully we can do it again. Yeah. Get into the good stuff. Get into the, get down into the nuts and bolts a little bit. That yeah, would be really interesting. I would love to do that at some time. So yeah. hopefully we didn't ramble too much. No, man, this is, it's all about <laughs> rambling. It's all about rambling good. We're right on time. Perfect. So have a great weekend. You too. And we'll stay in touch and then hopefully we can do it again sometime. I like it. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. I hope you have a great weekend. Uh, Stay hydrated and uh, get back to it Monday. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.